All right, welcome to Battle Ready Saints. We are in part two of the Battle Ready Prayer that we started earlier. We did an episode with Pastor Chris Swanson of Calvary Chapel, Chester Springs in Pennsylvania, where we talked about what prayer is and how we can be faithfully engaging in it as Christians. And uh, Pastor Chris has uh, graciously joined us again so that we can dive a little bit deeper into the topics that we talked about last episode, as well as get into some new ones. So if you want to learn more about prayer and how you can have a battle-ready prayer life, you're in the right place. So Pastor Chris, welcome back. Good to be back. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. We got to start with that on the 3rd of January, right? We are the 3rd, yeah. That's right. That's right. So uh, we've got a bunch of different stuff that we can get into uh, as we try to sort of pick up where we left off with the last episode. So is there a spot that you wanted to start? Well, I think you and I know this, but people tuning in don't. You had given me a list of things to discuss, uh, some great questions that we covered a number of them last time. But the the question of the simple question is, what is prayer? You know, and we were trying to get through that. And the answer to prayer, that question is simply, it's ultimately communication with God. But there are different ways you communicate with God. For example, when you're at a traffic light and a truck's coming towards you and you know it's going to hit your car, you're in a different communication with God than you are at dinner with your family mm-hmm. or, you know, praying for a brother who's got a headache or whatever the case may be or, you know, asking God to keep a missionary safe on a crazy visit, whatever. So it it gets tailored to what's going on in your world and in your life at that time. So with that, I looked at some just a few scriptures, some key ideas or aspects of prayer that I thought were important to to have in one's heart. And as you remember last time, we talked about the best way to learn how to pray is to learn the scripture and to go look at those prayers within the scriptures, because then, especially the ones that God answered, right? I mean, well, <laughs> might as well study the good ones. <laughs> and as you study through there, you you gain wisdom, right? About how how God's people have entreated the Lord, how he has been entreated or, or responded to them and answered their, their supplications, their desires, their requests, their broken hearts, whatever it may be. So that's what I thought I'd pick up. And, and I thought I would actually start first with Nehemiah. And you don't have to go to the reference. I think we, it's short enough. I think we all know. But in Nehemiah chapter one, he learned about the state of what's going on in Israel with trying to rebuild the temple, trying to rebuild the walls of the city. They're constantly plagued by their enemies on the outside. They have no security and, and the people are overwhelmed. And Nehemiah was so grieved that he spent months praying for God to do something. That was chapter one, basically. Chapter two, you know that he's in the king's presence. And as he's in the king's presence, he said his countenance was sad. And that, you know, gets a king suspicious when you're the last pair of lips before you can be poisoned. And you're, you know, your wine taster is upset. So the king takes note of it and says, what's the problem? And, and Nehemiah basically says, how can I not be sad when the, the city of my father's is the walls are broken down, the gates are burned with fire, you know, the people are in bad situation there. And of course I'm burdened. And so the king asks him, what do you request? Around chapter two, verse four, verse five. Mm-hmm. And Nehemiah, it says, he goes, so I prayed to the Lord and I said to the king. And so, you know, if that was the only scripture you had, you'd be like, well, sweet, prayer is easy. I just go, here, God. And then you run with it, right? Yeah. But, but it was a culmination of months of seeking God and, and asking God to do something only to find out that he's the one God's going to use to do it. And maybe that was already laid into his heart, but it was a very short prayer. I prayed to the Lord God, and I made my request known to the king. And so here, having prepared his heart before the Lord in prayer for some period of time, he had the confidence that this clearly was God opening that door, 
And now he's looking for God to give him the wisdom of knowing what to ask for. And so he asked the king, the queen sitting by him also, you know, what he what he would need. The king asked, how long are you going to be there? I mean, uh, I don't know if he scoped the workout or not, but he was ready in season. So just going through even simple, some simple prayer, it was a supplication on behalf of Israel, but it was extremely short. But yeah. it had culminated months of prayer. So that's, again, where if we make a formula of prayer pretty soon, you get messed up, right? Even the previous session about, you know, do we pray to the Father, to the Son, to the Holy Spirit? Well, there are times I ask for, you know, Jesus to help me. There are times I'm asking the Holy Spirit to anoint what's going on or to to open a heart that's hard, right? Because mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit's job is to convict the world of righteousness, sin, and judgment. So, yeah. there, but there obviously, when I come to the Lord, I always, always start with, you know, Father in Heaven and just start with that. And we'll know why by the end of our podcast here, because we'll go through Matthew 6, 9. And I know you had Luke, but I'll go through Matthew and I'll refer to Luke uh, as we go through. So, so that's the first thing we see this, this immediate supplication or this immediate request. And Philippians chapter four tells us the same thing in verse six, right? It says, be anxious for nothing, right? But in all things with prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So prayer is the ultimate cure for anxiety. It is coming to God with what's currently going on in my life. And, and God does care what's happening. Even Sadly, even if you're flailing in temptation, right, and, and you're swirling, about to go down the drain, he still cares, right? Just like Peter sinking in the water, Lord save mm-hmm. me. And he didn't go, look at you now. He reached out and he grabbed him, right? So this idea of I can cry out, my prayer, my supplication, humble request. It's just a humble request. God, I, you know, the old hymn, I need you every hour I need you, right? Whatever that case may be for Nehemiah was helping to deal with this king. But that supplication with thanksgiving, and this is, it's a statement I heard a long time ago, and you have to kind of pull it out carefully depending on what someone's going through. But to say when you're in a bad trial, you can see it one of two ways. What is God doing to me, right? Which is most often how we see it. Or God has counted you worthy at this season in your walk with him to walk through this. Mm. You know, you don't test a kid for algebra who's learning math, you know, like one plus one is two. So when you have a trial that comes your way that's difficult, or get through this, he won't tempt you beyond what you can bear, whether it be a temptation of the flesh or even a, a temptation to go in unbelief, right? He's going to make a way of escape. So the word gives light. Prayer gives power. We talked about that last time. So here, this, this promise from Philippians, and we are in a generation that is plagued with anxiety. Plagued yes. with FOMO, fear of missing out, right? <laughs> plagued with all these things that, you know, am I keeping up with the Joneses? And and they're really sadly wringing themselves out. Or worse, you know, is my life experience today better than the people who are on my whatever, my wall, my chat? I have yep. no clue because I'm not on any of it. Yep. And so there's this, this tearing apart of people and they're looking for peace. And sadly, many people look for it in drugs, alcohol. I mean, you know, you have some firsthand knowledge of these kind of problems, right? Yes, yes. And they, they, they're they horribly without peace, and now they're killing themselves one weekend at a time. For those listening, uh, if you don't know, I'm a police officer. That's the firsthand knowledge, not that I have a, a, a sordid past with drugs and alcohol. <laughs> for those listening, I used to have a sordid past with alcohol and fooling around. And then I got saved, and sometimes I ride with the police as a chaplain, so I get to see what they see too. So, and they they see people at their worst usually, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's a hard place to be. But yes, 
So there's this generation around us that's, and meanwhile, Jesus said, peace I give to you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. You can have as much peace with God as you want. Kind of like there's a freezer full of ice cream. You can have as many as you want, but you got to go get it. Mm-hmm. And so this idea, again, of prayer, Nehemiah prayed, he had a supplication. Now in Philippians, I'm, I'm anxious, something's tearing my heart up. Literally drawn in four different directions is the idea of the word. And you go to God and you say, Lord, I need your help. So it's prayer with supplication, right, with thanksgiving. The peace of God is promised to us will guard your heart and your mind. You get double teamed, right? Heart and mind, both are guarded by that, and it will pass your understanding. So here we have an offer from prayer, even if you don't know what to do, that just in coming to God in prayer, he's going to give you something. He's going to give you a peace that he's with you. Hmm. And that, as David said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, you're with me. And there are times I'm like, God, I don't know what you're doing, and I don't know what you planned. But I'm glad you're with me because this is bad and whatever. And I just, I just hang on to him, you know, mm-hmm. cling to him. And then, of course, Philippians four eight tells us, and then you got to set your mind on things above, things that are pure, that are lovely. And so I got to take my eyes off what's in giving me the anxiety, and I got to put my eyes back on the God who knows the end from the beginning and is with me. Right. So this beautiful thing of supplication. So that was that was part of it. There's a really powerful psalm, Psalm 62. In this case, I will read that because that's that's something I, I can paraphrase the others. I want to get this exact. But Psalm 62, I won't do the whole psalm, but it says, truly my soul waiteth upon God. That's one of the things of prayer. You pray and you wait, wait for God to give you direction. From him cometh my salvation. 62.2, he only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense I shall not be greatly moved. I appreciate that. You might be moved, yeah. but not you know, greatly moved. <laughs> How long will you imagine mischief against a man? You shall be slain, all of you, as a bowing wall shall you be, and as a tottering fence. Only They only consult to cast out or cast him down from his excellency. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly, Selah. In other words, people are out to get you. Hmm. My soul, wait thou only upon God. For my expectation is from him. That's where we go for hope and for peace. Verse six, he only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. Nice. That fixes that first thing about greatly moved. Hmm. Then he says in verse seven, in God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. And so you're going to prayer. You're talking to him. And then I love this verse eight, trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. That's prayer. Pour out your heart before him. Hmm. God is a refuge for us, Selah. That's, there's four more verses, but that's, that's an amazing verse to me. That came to me at one point when I was getting the business handed to me on something. And I'm, you know, I'm just I'm burdened before God. And that psalm, pour out your heart before the Lord. He is our rock and our salvation. He is our strength, and he will let you not be moved. So an exercise that people are hesitant to do, prayer. Promises to give them strength and peace and even resolve, in a sense, as to what's the course God would have them to take. And yet, sadly, so few really lay hold of that that tool, that blessing of bringing to God what is on your mind. And there was the question early in the first session, if God knows everything, he does, he's omniscient, he says he knows the end from the beginning, right. well, then why do we pray, right? right? We'll, we'll yeah. touch back on that in a little bit. We covered it a little bit in the first one. We'll come back to it in a little bit again here. But this idea of pouring out my heart is where I find rest. And if you say, well, prove it. Okay, fine. You've heard of Samuel the prophet. 
wonderful. First Samuel chapter one, his mother is a, is a primary wife, it appears. Uh, Penaniah is the secondary wife. Hannah, uh, who has it, or, um, oh, come on, don't do that when you don't have it. Get the name. <laughs> Her husband, Elkanah, sorry. Make sure I get it right. We got Hannah, yep, Penaniah, and Elkanah. Let me get to Elkanah, Elkanah, Elkanah. Yes, Elkanah. That's um, Samuel's father. Okay. He marries, it appears he marries Hannah first. She's infertile, it appears. Right. Often what happened, they'd marry a secondary wife, a concubine secondary wife, because they want to produce children. I mean, that's just kind of how it went, right? Yeah. Um, so you know this chapter. You know that Penaniah keeps pointing out to Hannah that she's childless. Right. And that she's really not a blessing. And so she goes before the Lord as they go up for a feast, and she poured out her heart from Psalm 62 to the Lord. And she's so involved in her prayer to God that Eli, the priest, suspects her as being a drunken reveler, right? right. And, yes. and rebukes her. Of all guys to rebuke you at Eli, right? With him completely asleep at the switch on his own issue. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Like, wow. But she says, no, I've, I've poured out my heart to the Lord. Mm-hmm. And that's where she said to God, if you will bless me with a son, because, you know, that's how the name carries on. Mm-hmm. I will dedicate him to your service. And God allowed those things where she was, she was more about... I, I want a son that I'll, I'll put him in your hands. And that's how we got Samuel the prophet of all things. And Shemuel is heard of the Lord, right? Or asked of the Lord. His name literally means I asked him of God and he gave him to me. Right. And I personally, as a parent, can you imagine, we think maybe four to six years of age or three to six, he was weaned usually three to four. Imagine you and Jackie just dropping him off and nope. like, okay. And then you know the quality of the priesthood at the time and you're leaving your kid there. Yeah. But she was a woman of faith and she poured out her heart and, and she went back to that feast with peace. She was settled in her heart that she had given it to God and left it in his hands and whatever God wanted would be okay. So here was a supplication with peace. Go ahead. Sorry. Okay. I, I was just going to ask, is this, is this pouring out of the heart a, a type of supplication or is it venting or is it both? Sure. <laughs> yes. <laughs> See, cause once we try to put it in a nice little box, we get more worried about which category am I? Well, I don't want to supplicate. I've had too many supplications today, Lord. So I, I better vent. No, you're you're a person with God, right? He's a father. You know what it's like when your little guys vent, and then they still want candy, <laughs> right? Yeah. So uh, I I get I get weary of you know in a sense like yes, she's got a supplication. She's making a request be known. It could mm-hmm. be no. And yeah. yet she's pouring out her heart. She said it. I've poured out my heart to the Lord. And then Eli, trying to recover himself, says, well, may you be blessed. You know, may your prayer be answered, basically. Yeah. And she goes away. So, uh, yeah. I, I ask because I think that uh, a lot of us are are pretty comfortable with requests, prayer requests. God, can can you please do this? Can I please have that? Um, and less comfortable. Oh, I'll speak for myself anyways. And uh, it... it I'm I'm less comfortable just kind of pouring out my heart like you see David do in the Psalms. You know, like it's when I um and I think that at, like the more you pray, the more you you develop that muscle like we talked about. Sure. Uh, but certainly early on when I was like, you know, I I need to work on my prayer life. Like I don't I don't pray like I should, and so I need to work on it. The best that I could do was go to God and be like, "Well, I all, all I have right now is kind of a, a list <laughs> and okay. I can, I'll work through my list with you, but, um, you almost feel disrespectful if you're like, um, well doing what you see David do in the Psalms. It's not, but you, 
I would, I would feel that way sometimes. And I'm sure that other people would feel that way if you're feeling frustrated um, or dare I say angry with God to actually tell him that, which is silly because as we talked about, God knows everything. And so if you're angry with him or if you're frustrated or if you're sad or whatever it is, if you're not content with something that you feel you should be content with, just not verbalizing that in prayer doesn't hide it from him. Um, but yeah, I just, I think that having that kind of prayer life where you can just pour out your heart before God, that that's something that takes work and feels for me anyways, at least how I was used to praying. It felt, doesn't feel right at first. Do you know what I mean? Well, I tell you what, think about Genesis 18, Abraham before the Lord, right? That's capital L-O-R-D, Jehovah mm -hmm. himself. Mm -hmm. And he says, you know, I am but dust and ashes. And he's begging for Sodom to somehow be spared, right? If yeah. you find 10 righteous, we know what happened. They mm -hmm. had four and they had to drag them out, right? So talk about interceding. But he he brought his request appealing to the heart of God for mercy. And he did that acknowledging he's just dust. I'm dust, right? I mean, at the end of the day, we're essentially walking vacuum bags, right? We've got dust inside <laughs> and God animated it, put a breath of life in. And so, you know, for example, David's, you know, they call him imprecatory or the idea of, you know, judgment prayers that he has, you know, break their teeth in their head, oh Lord. Yeah, I can't say I've ever really prayed that one. You <laughs> right, know, right. not exactly something that I've uh, felt, you know, because Jesus told me to love my enemies, you know, and, and pray for those who persecute me and, and all that. Yeah. Uh, but I have prayed, for example, especially as I've seen the killing of the unborn. Mm. I pray that God would rob sleep from the eyes of those who are involved in that industry until they come to repentance. Mm. I pray he drives them to repentance. You know, when we've dealt with, and you and I both know, I've had to deal with some issues where people have done some pretty horrible things, and yet they're refusing to, to own it. And, and mm -hmm. that would be very helpful to bring closure, should we say. And I pray that God would remove their sleep from them and drive them to a place of repentance. And now it's, you know, our God is in the heavens. He does what he pleases, Psalm 115, right? It's his work, not mine. And so I, I very seldom have ever really tried to tell him how to solve something. Yeah. You know, because I, I think he, it's kind of like when you're lost and you've got a roadmap and you pull over and you put it on the hood of the car. And you're like, okay, we're going to, okay. And then we'll, okay. Well, here we're telling God how to roadmap it. And he's up there going, you know, like, <laughs> you know, but I, I, I don't want to put, you know, thoughts in his mind, so to speak. But I, right. I just ask him to solve it. So there are times where I've had to pray where my heart's broken for someone. Well, this is generic enough. It's been enough time. There's someone who, should I say, is, um, compromised and, and needs care. Is that a good mm -hmm. way to put it? Okay. An adult. Uh, we, there was a suspicion that that lady might've been abused in her facility mm. and she's a believer and she comes to us and tells us what's going on. Of course, we take that seriously and we start getting some people look into it and all that. And, and um, there, a very rational answer did come out of an accident that happened. And it, I mean, pretty clearly, and it was all documented and all that. Okay. Pretty clearly. Um, and we're dealing with someone who's got compromised issues. Right. Mm -hmm. So, but I was grieved. I was grieved and praying like, Lord, this woman loves you. Where were you to protect her? You know, and, and then once we finally got the report, because everything was documented, the whole report, um, like, OK, praise God. It's, you know, when you're when you're knocked out, a lot of things don't make sense. But when you uh, you have staff there 24 seven and they're right there to care for you. OK, we have enough behind it. So it was right. there was enough. As you understand, there's enough clear evidence to go. OK, nothing, nothing uh, in order is out of order has occurred here. OK, fine. Yeah. Um, but even just the the way that this person got hurt was odd. But once you saw the reports, like okay, it made sense. And um, 
but I, that was hard because, you know, here's someone that got spared her life to begin with. She shouldn't even be alive. She survived something most people wouldn't. Mm. And to see her go through that, my heart was broken. Yeah. And, and I was very honest with God in prayer that, you know, this, this woman trusts you. She loves you. She came to know the Lord through her trouble that she went through and thanks God for it, mm. which is humbling, you know. Uh, but that was a time where, and thank God, we eventually got our answer. And I, I think it, it clearly was a, a solid answer. Right. If it didn't pass the sniff test, it would have been like, all right, we're going to go further up the chain. But it was sure. it was very well documented. So I think you know what I'm talking about. You probably had to deal with some of this too. Mm-hmm. There's there's no gaps here. We got a tight tight answer. So okay, mm-hmm. fine. So but that was a time where that was very hard in prayer. And I you know and I'm just praying that God would help these people involved to get to the truth. Yeah, that's what we want. We want the truth. And sadly, you know, David, some things we're not going to know the truth until we get up to the kingdom of God. You know, <laughs> whether it's at a civic level or interpersonal level or even sometimes the the realm of god the things he does sometimes we just we're gonna have to wait so that's yeah. a long answer but you know i there's a there's a time when your heart's burdened you know you have children your kids get older you see things that are concerning you you start i encourage parents you get on your knees and you beg god to open their eyes you know or yeah, nothing makes you pray like having kids you got it you start <laughs> learning the heart of a father right I have a, a husband or a wife come in to talk to me and their marriage is failing. And I say, look, you get home, you get on your knees, you start asking God, just just ask God to help you, beg God to help you mm. do what you can to try and bring healing, right? And and so there are times you really do step into that kind of a prayer life because your spirit is, is crushed, basically, yeah. as you're going through something. So you'll know it when you hit it. And it, mm-hmm. it starts with, and, and life will bring it to you in its own way, and serving and being involved with God's people you learn of hardships going on in homes or marriages or heartbreaks of parents who are estranged from their kids. And, and you start learning how to pray, right? You start sensing the, the burden. So that, that comes, right? Those, yeah. But no, I've never prayed for God to break someone's teeth in their head or whatever, <laughs> you know, but I also wasn't fighting to establish a kingdom where everybody's trying to exterminate the Jews. That's right. Right. So when you think about it, Satan's always been trying to wipe them out, uh, you know, right. They yeah. that differently, but, but we'll see. Yeah. You know, you read the missionary stories who have been persecuted, and you're humbled by how they prayed for their persecutors. Mm-hmm. Brother Yun, heavenly man, shocking how he prayed. Um, Insanity of God, some of those people went through. We handed that book out at one point to volunteers, just some powerful testimonies. Yeah. Bruce Olson in Bruchko, he was in uh, Columbia, and just grab uh, the FLN or whatever, these gorillas, grab them and roll them over like 300-pound logs. And I mean, just awful what he went through, and yet he's praying for them and sharing Christ with them and doing haircuts for them. <laughs> you know, what I mean, like what, you know, and, yeah. and so that's an anointing that hopefully God will give you when you need it, if that's yeah. shorter answer. So did I get it or did I leave you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think I think that the answer is, is that that it, it, it develops over time. It's something that develops over time uh, as your relationship with God grows. And I think yep. that you go from being taught how to pray in this very wooden formulaic way and then eventually as you mature you learn oh i'm i'm actually talking to a person like this is yeah. this is an interactive thing and god's active in my life and he's doing things and so you're going to want to talk to him about those things you know and and like i said earlier nothing makes you you pray like having kids well those are significant things that are in your life that now you don't have 100% control over and you've got nothing um nothing that you can do except get on your knees before God and and ask him every day to help you <laughs> not only to help you parent correctly because it's such a huge responsibility sure. um but 
And, you know, just as a side note, I think the thing that weighs on me the most, or, or, or certainly one of the things, is realizing that um, I, the way that I act towards my sons is going to either help or hinder their perception of their heavenly father. Yes. Because as I've gotten older, I've realized how my earthly father affects my view of my heavenly father. And that's not a positive thing in my case. Yes. Um, and so it, it makes me realize every, the way that I talk to them, the way that I discipline them, the way that I express love towards them, the way that I live in front of them, my walk with God, the way I treat my wife, all of that, they're watching and they're absorbing all of that. And I can say like, well, hopefully, you know, I'm, I can't, I can't give it to them. They're just going to have to, to, uh, learn about God on their own. Or that's, that's certainly not my approach, but I imagine it would be easy to just kind of shirk responsibility for that. But the problem is if, even if you leave them learning about God and, and, and all of that up to Sunday school teachers or whoever else, you know, school teachers yeah. or whatever, you're still having, I, I don't know about the most, but certainly one of the most significant impacts on how they view their heavenly father. And you can, you can use that to help them. And I think help them to understand how a loving father can still discipline us or how um, a, a loving father who, who can control who is in control of everything can let us go through difficult or uncomfortable experiences. Um, that can all, you can, you can be a living example of how that can make sense. Now we're all flawed and we're going to mess up. And I think in those cases, it's important to acknowledge to them, even at a very young age, Hey, I messed up, you know, I'm not perfect. And so I need, I need to ask for forgiveness too. Just like I tell you do you, you too, when you need to, you know, when you do something wrong and you need to be forgiven, I'm the same way. So God's the only, your heavenly father is the only perfect father, but I'm at least taking very seriously my job of modeling as best I can that heavenly father to my kids. And I like, you have to be in prayer for that because that's such a, I would say like in a way it's a frightening responsibility because I'm going to stand before God one day and he's going to ask me, how did you do as my earthly representative to your children? Yeah, yeah it's a stewardship. And mm-hmm. it you can't make them believe. Mm-hmm. And that's important. You can't make them believe. Right. But you can get in the way of them believing. Mm-hmm. And so with our kids, as soon as we could get them to sit in our lap, we've read kids' Bibles to them. You know this. We've worn them out. Yep. Uh, we've moved on to a little you know, more age-appropriate now with my, my um, 14-year-old, my 12-year-old. We're just finishing up. We have Daniel 12 to go next week. Nice. And we just went through Daniel 11 and talking about Hanukkah because it was the Han- we're during Hanukkah we're doing Daniel 11 hmm. and Antiochus Epiphanes and the Maccabees and their revolt and all that and mm. and you know and they really had their minds blown when they found out in chapter 10 the prince of Persia was standing this angel coming to speak to Daniel and then I started showing Ezekiel 28 the, the prince of Tyre and then the king of Tyre the earthly ruler the satanic power behind and they basically are sitting there like. You mean government symbolically influence? Like you took now to figure that out, you know? But that's a chance to give them a worldview of, you know, mm. things aren't what they seem to be. And and we don't fight flesh and blood behind it, our spiritual realm, right? Uh, principalities and powers. And so that's my my older son now, he's he's out in New York, he works, uh, he's in his twenties. But he came to me at one point and said, Dad, I don't know how you did this. And I said, Well, did what? He goes, 
you made it absolutely positively clear to me I wanted nothing to do with drugs. I said, well, and he goes, you never said drugs are bad, you know, and all that. You never did that. But you would come home and you would explain things to me like, hey, you guys are on a bus and uh, somebody hands you a clear a jar with clear liquid in it and dares you to drink it. Do you drink it? And they're like, no. And, and I know a case where a kid drank grain alcohol. Mm. Did a lot of damage to him, right? Because these kids you know, don't. So I'd come home and I'd never give names or whatever, but I would always come home and they know they know what pornography is going to do to a marriage. They know what alcohol will do to a marriage. They know whether a male or female. I've had women that are alcoholics that, that have really wrecked their homes and then finally woken up and, and all that. So it's mm. it's not gender specific at times. And even the same thing with the erotic literature and porn. That's a mess yep. too, both sides. Yep. Uh, but I basically would shoot them straight and that, look, you get into these things, it's going to own you. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and they knew my, my kids know the passcode to my phone. They know the, whatever to get to my computer, you know, because there, there's nothing there. And obviously I have some things that I discussed church wide that some of those are in folders they can't get to, but, um, but they, there's nothing to hide. If I never make it home today and they finally do the whole, whatever on my office, there's nothing to be found. Right. You know, they'll find all the little notes they wrote to me and they'll find whatever, but there's not going to be any like, Oh my goodness, should have come home and like cleared that or whatever, you know? Yeah. And they know that. And that has, now that I've got kids who are 29 on down with their own children, they, they have come back to let us know, you know, you guys really helped us because now that we're parenting, there's so many things we remember as kids that you guys did when we were literally like, oh man. And now, now, now they're doing it, you know, like, yeah. you know, like, hey, there was some, some wisdom in that, you know, so you're right. And you do the best you can and you're going to make mistakes. But if the general tenor of your walk is, they know where to find you reading your Bible. They know they'll pray with you, pray with your wife. They know whatever they, they know, then they, they catch way more than you teach. And, you yes. know, I was listening, I was in the car one time, Joe's on the radio, Joe Foch, and he's kidding around about how you have all these hopes for your kids, but they ultimately end up like you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, so at least yeah. if they end up like you, let it be something worth repeating. You know what yes. I mean? So, yes. but you're right. And you bring up basically the first part of the Lord's prayer, which is when people say our father, uh, you know, half of the world or maybe more have a problem with that yep. because they're, they have trust issues with a father and that's another attack by Satan, right? Yep. Because you destroy the idea of a, of a, a godly, honorable head of a home. Instead, you have an oppressive, dictatorial, whatever, you know, abusive, what you just drive people like, I don't want a father in heaven. I hated the one I had on earth. Right. And and so you have this constant attack. Yeah. Or like, so in my case, my, what, like my biggest fear, something that was, is, I, I would say was past tense for the most part at this point, but one of the biggest, most difficult things for me to work through was I had this uh, incredible fear that one day, you know, I, I would die and I would be standing before God and he would, the, the Bible wouldn't, it, it, it would still be his word. He would still be everything that he, that he said that he was, but I would have misunderstood who he was and he would have turned out to be uh, somebody that ultimately uh, like hurts me for, for lack of a better way of putting it. Like I would have gotten something wrong. And so he turns out to be the opposite of what I thought. And like, that was just something that was like in my mind. Like I, I know that he's supposed to be this, this loving source of everything that's good, but I'm afraid that when I find out who he really is one day, it's going to be detrimental to me. And I, I realized eventually I was like, oh, that's that's like exactly what happened with my dad. <laughs> you know, like for the first 10 years of my life, 
he was, you know, uh, he was the, the, your, your, he I don't was know dangerous. He was dangerous. How about well, that? The fir- no, the first 10 years of my life, he was fine. He was just dad. And then things happened and all of a sudden we had to escape him. And like, he was somebody wow. who was trying to hurt us. And, yep. uh, and, and he turned into like the most evil person, you know, in, in my 10 year old world. And so yeah. that I think had profound effects on how I processed who my heavenly father was, because I was afraid that one day out of nowhere, bam, he was going to go from being, Oh no, he's good. He's the source of everything that's good to yeah. you're in trouble. You got, you got to get away, you know? <laughs> so yeah, it's, it can heavenly, we're, we're kind of, uh, digressing here but um yeah just all that to say that that heavenly father or earthly fathers have a huge impact on how kids process their heavenly father and so i think you bring up a good point though and that is the integrity of god and mm. he gives us chances to see his integrity throughout his word so i'll point out some things as i teach through that some people would just sort of like why is he wasting time on this right <laughs> whatever move on to the next verse but let me ask you a question how many people would have allowed Sodom and Gomorrah to continue? 10. We needed 10. We started 50. The Lord said, I'll spare them if there's 50. Abraham schleps them all the way down to 10, right? Gets them down to 10. Okay, fine. If I find 10 people, I'll spare the city. Wonderful. Abraham figured we got that covered. There's got to be, got to be at least 10 in town, right? We got Lot, family, and we know the answer. Four were dragged out by their hands. One of the four didn't make it. Okay. How many people went on the ark? Less than 10. Less than 10. So if there, I'd have a problem if there was, say, 11 or 12, and he spared Sodom and Gomorrah if he had 10. Mm. So I find it interesting that God's integrity is consistent that there are less than 10. A massive judgment came to the first pre-flood world, the antediluvian world, as they call it. And then you have the same thing with Sodom and Gomorrah. So then here's an interesting thought. If he doesn't change, and he, he always works in this fashion, that when there's less than 10, it's time, Right then that would make me think that a good time to have the rapture is before the tribulation because you remove your church for it might be microseconds, but there's going to be less than 10. Yeah. And I, so in my mind, I'm like, you know, hmm, that's interesting. And again, it's, there's sense. a lot of reasons why I think he's going to remove his church before he brings his judgment. You know, Philippians 1, he's not appointed to wrath. Philippians 5, he's not appointed to wrath. You know, uh, second, third, second, or sorry, Thessalonians one, Thessalonians five is not points the wrath. Second Thessalonians two, there's got to be a falling away first. He who restrains will be will be taken out of the way. Well, the only thing restraining demonic power is God's power, mm-hmm. so that's got to be the Holy Spirit. And if He takes away the Holy Spirit, then He's removed Him from us because He promised never to remove Him. Right. So I I think we got to go. But there's you know we could that's a whole nother day. Yes. <laughs> um, but the heart is that if He brings a massive judgment when there's less than ten then it would seem he's going to get it again to where there's less than 10 and that first seal breaks. Yeah. But that's, that's an aside. So um, let's see. So we got the Psalm 62, 62. We got the Hannah. Uh, <laughs> you know, prayer is a way to surrender to God. Yeah. And my case study on that one is Jonah. <laughs> right. I mean, he's, he's sitting in Joppa. It's beautiful. He's sitting in Joppa. You look over the sea like, wow, this is gorgeous, you know, and, and all that. And, and so here's Jonah, and he, of course, you know, gets in the boat, goes the wrong way, heading as far away as he can to Tarshish. And, of course, the storm comes. They chuck him overboard. The fish grabs him. And he's in the fish three days. And it says, finally, Jonah prayed, right? Chapter 2, 
finally he prayed for me. I would have been in the fish three, you know, three feet. I would have been like, <laughs> all right, I'm, it's my fault. I'm out of order. You know, my bad, my bad. You know, the old yeah. nab, my bad, my bad. You know, and and uh, and I'd be out of there. And so here, it that guy had to sit there from chapter two, verse one through nine, and basically, you know, be wrapped in seaweed and bile to finally say, all right, all right, all right, I'll go where you want me to go, right, Uncle. Yeah. And so sometimes prayers, you know, you're, you're praying because you want to change them. And yep. meanwhile, as you're praying diligently about something, you find God starts changing you. And what do you know? Prayer's done its work. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's another one, right? That's, uh, I think that's a, that's a great point to make about how um, when we pray, there should be something going on inside us. Because it's easy to pray for other people. They need Jesus, you know? Yeah. Uh, but if you're if you're really praying and um you're receptive to the holy spirit there's going to be things that are being brought to your mind that are convicting you um you know and well and that probably also something that we can get into more when we talk a little bit more about the lord's prayer but yeah i love jonah's a great case study yeah. of stubbornness <laughs> oh yeah and you know and that guy hung in there man yeah he, he did for a while here's another one when you're seeking god's will right in intervention Mm. Case study for that is Habakkuk chapter one and two, Habakkuk. Mm. And he cries out and says, Lord, where are you? Right. The law is slacked. You know, there's nothing but violence continually. There's the, you know, the people are basically backslidden. They're, they're horrible. You know, I'm paraphrasing for sake of time. He goes through this whole thing about how wretched the nations become. And basically, what are you going to do about it? And then the end of chapter one, God says, no worries. I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty people, right? They're going to come in fiercer than evening wolves looking for a meal. I mean, he talks about they're just going to come in and just, this is Mm. going to be easy, right? Mm -hmm. So Habakkuk, suddenly shocked by this near the end of the chapter, he's like, wait wait a second. They're evil, you know? They're supposed to be judged. We're your people. And he even espouses this idea of, aren't your eyes purer than to look upon evil? Wait a minute. If you had Job 1 and 2 and you know Satan enters God's presence— you can answer that one, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. So here he's crying out, and and finally God, he goes, I'm going to wait to see what God answers me. And God comes back to him ultimately with, the just shall live by faith, and all the earth shall see the glory of the Lord. That's the two key points of chapter two, right? So here he's crying out to God in one of those imprecatory prayers or, you know, broken heart prayers of God dealing with an enemy. And he's, 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 but he's praying up the wrong tree, right? He's talking about Israel's the problem, and God's like, oh, no. Uh, I'm going to have my will done, and I'm going to do it in a way you never would have dreamed, right? Mm. So once again, seeking God in prayer and intercession or intervention, it may not go the way you think it should. Yeah. You know, the old fix my wife <laughs> suddenly becomes fix me, right? It's yep. change my attitude, Lord. So back to how prayer works. Okay. Uh, how? Time of trouble. Jeremiah. Mm. Jeremiah is told in chapter one, he's going to face adversity. Right. They're going to they're going to come after you, basically said. And God said, I'm going to make you like a brazen wall, like a like a tower in a sense. Right. I'm going to fortify you. And then Mm -hmm. chapter 20, Pasher comes after him and basically puts him in the stocks for a night and beats him, you know, and all that. And and Jeremiah has a a truly bad day. And when he gets released, he pronounces judgment against Pasher. And then he gets into around chapter, let's see, uh, around chapter 20, verse seven. He cries out and he says to the Lord, you've deceived me. Mm. Oh, God's prophet's a little salty, right? <laughs> he's like, he's like, really, really, you know. And and he basically says, "All right, I'm okay, fine. That's how you want to treat your servant, you know." 
And then he says God's word began to burn in him, you know, and 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 he he couldn't. He had to, you know, share the things of the Lord. So, and then you have to go back to chapter one. God hasn't deceived you, Jeremiah. He told you you'd be like a brazen wall. You can beat on a brazen wall all day, but it's not coming down, right? Mm-hmm. And so, so you know, but here it's not what he expected. He's pouring out his heart in supplication. He even has a spot in Jeremiah where God tells him not to pray for the people. You want to talk about an interesting book on prayer, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, but here he's he's upset. He doesn't know what God's doing. He charges God essentially with with you know being out of order, for lack of a better term, and then decides you know the old he's going to take God hostage and not do his job. Like people, <laughs> well, I'm not going to pray anymore. I'm not going to read my Bible. Like like God's going, oh, you know, yeah, right, I mean, right, yeah, you know, take God hostage game. Um, but here you know ultimately Jeremiah, when Jerusalem was destroyed, writes lamentations weeps over the city from, we think, Jeremiah's grotto, which is right near where Golgotha would be, if we mm. have it right. Mm. And here's this brokenhearted prophet, but he he did his job. He yeah. did his job. He warned the nation. He saw the hardness of heart, and uh, and they wouldn't turn. And God warned them, right? But even in the midst of being a, you know, a major prophet, major because lots of chapters, not because he, you know, was on the right. higher grade, like an E9 or something, but, you know, <laughs> here he is a major prophet, and and yet he at times was not sure what God was doing, right? So there's, again, where prayer and supplication may not be what you thought it was going to be, but don't don't forsake God, and don't try to yeah. try to take him hostage, right? Well, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's funny, like with that prayer or with a lot of the Psalms or, or a lot of the, the interactions with God that I like Moses has some very interesting interactions with God. And um You think like two I'll, sons are bad? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I like I read some of these interactions and it's like, hmm, that 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 doesn't sound at all like my prayers. And uh and I think it's because well, I think that culturally there was a difference. Um sure. uh, but also I, I feel that we've been conditioned in the in the this is a Western thing, but it's certainly a church thing too, that um the most godly attribute that you could have is niceness. Um and so if you say or think or do anything that's not nice, then it's wrong. Whereas it seems like the interactions recorded with God in the Bible are just like real, like they're, they're honest, you know, and, and there, there's not this facade, this veneer of, of fake niceness because you wouldn't want to be, you wouldn't want to do something that was not nice. Sure. Um, and, you know, but a soft, a soft word can be more powerful and break a bone, right? Proverbs talks well, I, about I how think you, that, can, you can speak the truth and love, man. And, I, and sure. it's, it's a devastating hit and you're not trying to be evil. You're just saying no. what you got to say, but you say it in a way it can be received. And I, right. And I think that there's a difference between niceness and kindness and lovingness sure. like yeah. nice niceness I, the way that i'm using the word it's like this uh almost like a superficial thing yeah. that you, do you know what i mean like because yep. i think and i think that there's a reaction to that in some people and they're just like nasty people and and that's not the correct response either it's like well you don't be rude and and nasty and and you don't talk to god like like irreverently, you know, uh, again, in the beginning of the Lord's prayer, hallowed be your name. Like we're, yeah. his name is holy. Yep. And, and so we should, we should talk to him like it is, but so, sometimes you're just going through something and you're not having a nice time or you're not having nice thoughts. And I think that God can take those. Like, if you look at 
David in particular, but also Moses, like Moses, like I, it, it almost seems like he's rude sometimes, but he's just being Moses, I guess. And, and God really seems to enjoy that relationship with him. Um, but I think it's just a matter of, um, being honest with God when, when that's all you have, you know, like if, if, if that's what you're feeling, he knows. So bring it to him. You know? Yeah. I, I, you know, there's a long story that or long ago, pastor Chuck told a story. He was doing Bible studies and before Costa Mesa really got underway and he's, he's driving in an hour or whatever to do this Bible study. And then he gets up there and he has a flat tire when he comes out and all the brothers are like, Oh, but there's a bunch of them. So, you know, they just jack up the car and everybody's helping and talking and fellowshipping, whatever, get the tire on. He's all good. Hey, praise the Lord. You know, whatever. Chuck gets in the car, drives away. Have you heard this one? No. Okay, so he's driving away. He's going down the road, and here's <laughs> now his other tire goes right. And his flap, his spare's gone. You know, so he he pulls over to the side of the road. And this is back in the day where there are no like mild different marker for phone booths and you know whatever. I mean, he's out <laughs> on one of the freeways, and so he starts walking towards town. You know, finds a phone, calls a tow truck. Tow truck's coming. He starts walking back, whatever. And he's walking back. He's complaining to the Lord. And he said to he said something to the effect of Lord this is no way to treat your servant. I'm out of my house doing Bible studies. Right? He's, he's, he's telling it as it is, you know? Yeah. 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 And as he's whining, he's getting close to the car and he sees the tow truck pulling up. And as it's pulling up, the Holy spirit put on his heart witness to him. Mm. And so they get the car hooked up and all that and they get into the truck. Chuck hops into the front next to him, looks at the guy and gives him his smile that Chuck had. And he says to him, God must really love you. And the guy looks at him like, what? And he starts telling about, this is my second flat tire of the night. And so he shares the Lord with him. And this guy got saved, the tow truck wow. driver, and was in Costa Mesa for decades, for probably wow. an hour long, but always at Costa Mesa. So because of the flat tire, somebody got saved, right? And here Chuck's complaining about how he's being handled, back to that closeness of, you know, just laying it out. Hmm. Uh, I've had times when I've had someone give me the business and I'm, I've had to pray like, Lord, uh, you're going to have to give me some better skin on this one because this is starting to get us, you know, and just help me to deal with them the way you'd want them to be handled. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. and he helps. He helps. And mm -hmm. sometimes what he does is he he kind of takes my little view and goes, look at everything else going around them. Yeah. You know, it, just as you see all the time, right? There's always a story behind problems you're dealing with out there on the street. Right. And you kind of take a step back and go, wow, this is bad. This is, doesn't justify what they're doing, but this is bad, right? Sure. And uh, and so sometimes prayer even just God enlarges your view, mm -hmm. and you go from being you know upset or despising somebody for lack of a better term to truly truly grieved for them, yeah. and you start praying God would help them instead mm -hmm. of you know back to David breaking their teeth in their head, right? So mm -hmm. so you know yeah, there's a there's definitely a level of conversation that you see between the Lord and well Ananias, right? Book of Acts. Mm -hmm. Go to a street called Straight. You'll find a man solved Tarsus. He's praying. Mm. Right. He's seeing in a vision a man named Ananias coming, laying hands on him. And uh, and, and he's, he says, Lord, I've heard a whole lot of things. He's 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 raising objections, honest right. objections, yep. you know, like yeah. he's, he's a bad dude, you know, like mm -hmm. as though the Lord didn't know. And he says, go your way for he's my servant. And I will show him the things he must suffer for my name's sake. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. yes, sir. Yeah. I'm out. You know, like, <laughs> I guess I'll go anoint him then, you know. Yeah. And so even there you have and I love it. It's just a certain disciple. Mm. It says a certain disciple named Ananias, right, was praying and saw the Lord. And so it, it wasn't, you know, the quote, elders, leadership, whatever, worldwide evangelists, just somebody who loved God, loved Jesus. And yep. he's given the job of installing basically Paul the Apostle. Yeah. Right. And it came from him being a man of prayer.
Yeah. So cool. Okay, let's see. Yes. We got uh, oh one last one, uh, two. Call for salvation. Hmm. That comes through prayer. And there's yeah. no perfect formula. And the, you got the thief on the cross. Yeah. And that prayer was, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's pretty basic. Yep. You know, didn't even have four spiritual laws attached to it, or <laughs> you know, like the you know, Lord and Savior, or a lot of the buzzwords people like to use. It was a heart that knew it needed to be saved, and yeah. God accepted it. Right. The Lord told me to be with him in paradise. And then one last one for you, prayer will also give you boldness. And the example is, again, the book of Acts, uh, what, chapter 4, they've healed the man at the gate, beautiful. He's leaping and bouncing and praising God, and they're in there proclaiming Christ, and the Sanhedrin grabs him and brings him in and says, hey, you know, we don't want you to teach in this name anymore. You know, And, and they said, whether we should obey God or you, you guys go figure that one out. You know, we're yeah. going to say the things we've seen and heard. And they go back to those who are in the upper room in the early church, and they told them what happened and their threatenings, and they went to prayer. Mm-hmm. And they said, Lord, behold their threatenings. And they didn't say, make the persecution go away. They said, grant to your servants power that we might do miracles in your name, basically, and that we might have boldness to share your truth. And lo and behold, the place shook. God gave them boldness. So there goes from supplication to broken heart to prayer for salvation to prayer for peace to to entreating God when you're you're overwhelmed to this idea of you know time of trouble like Jeremiah to he'll save you if you call upon him to he'll give you the boldness if you ask for it and boldness doesn't mean arrogance and you become a jerk right. boldness means that you you have a settled peace that he is and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him yes so that's that's the other side how are we doing on time because I don't know we're we good. We're, yeah, we're we got we got time. <laughs> okay, so Matthew six nine. That's where I wanted to go for Lord's prayer. So those are most okay. of the side stuff. And uh, and what's fun for us when we go to Israel, when you go to what is called the Mount of Beatitudes. Okay, mm. when you read Matthew five, you'll find that there are people coming at the last part of the chapter from all over the place. From um, let me make sure I got this right. No, sorry, yeah, Matthew 4, the end of Matthew 4, people are coming from all over, from the Decapolis, from all the cities around them. They're all mm. coming to Capernaum, right? So the place is packed. And it says in chapter 5, verse 1, Jesus, seeing the multitudes, went up into a high mountain. And it's it's a hike. I mean, yeah. You know, we drive a bus, and it's like, uh, you're going <laughs> up there. He, It's a hike. And here you've got this large gathering of people, but you're moving off and making it, for some, quite inconvenient to follow. Yeah. But when you go there and see the topography, what he's doing is he is thinning the crowd. Mm. He is getting rid of those who only want the show, the healing, the miracles, the whatever. And the people really want to hear what he has to say. They're the ones who hike all the way up to the mountain and they get this sermon on the mount, right? Yeah. He sits down, talks to his disciples to get this wonderful sermon on the mount. And and Joe, Pastor Joe taught on it one time when I was in Israel. I thought he made it very clear. It's not the gospel. And it's not the law, it's kingdom principles, yeah. which I thought was like, wow, it's a good way to look at it. Kingdom mm. principles, right? Yeah. So pray for those who persecute you. Blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God. These wonderful kingdom principles. And mm. so he got to, in chapter 6, he said, verse 5, when you pray, there's an expectation there. When? Yes. Not should. <laughs> when mm. you pray, you shall not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues. And in the corners of the streets, <clears throat> I had somebody come to me once and say, well, pastor, if that's the case, why do you open a service in prayer? Close <laughs> in prayer. I said, because we're asking God to come open his word. Right. And I usually try to keep it short, you know, right. but all right. So maybe none of those count for me in heaven. That's okay. I'd rather do it anyway, <laughs> right? 
I'm uh, not, yeah, I'm not sure that's what he's talking about. There, yeah, but. no, no. But hey, you know, you get those questions. <laughs> yeah, you know, Solomon's prayer is recorded in Second Chronicles six, I believe, and and man, it's it's a dynamite prayer, and it's yep. actually a prayer that leads Jer- leads Jeremiah as well as Daniel in prayer for the nation mm. because of what Solomon prayed. Yeah. They remembered his prayer, and they're like, you know what? We can from a faraway land, we can ask God's mercy if we yeah. come back with all our heart. So okay, cool. Uh, so. Be not as those who pray in the streets or in the synagogues, uh, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have the reward. But you, when you pray, enter into your closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father, which I'll be in King James modified. When you um, shut your door and pray to your father in secret, and your father which seeth in secret shall reward you openly. So when you pray, this is amazing. It's right before the Lord's Prayer, right? You'd think they'd see this. When you pray, (laughs) use not vain repetitions. And yet, you got to be <laughs> right. like, they just gave me five Our Fathers. Like, yeah. what? You know, like, what? You know what we should do with this? Vain repetitions. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know. <laughs> ah, anyway, context. You know, the whole thing about context, really important. Yep. When you play Bible roulette, spin it around, open it up. Judas went and hung himself. Close it, spin it around, open it up. Go ye and do likewise, right? You got to watch <laughs> out for context, right? You want to want to get that context. So don't use vain repetitions <laughs> as the heathens do. For they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Back to prayer. You don't, you know, bring them around to your point of view. You just, you seek them. Yeah. So be therefore not like unto them, for your father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask him. And so that question came up, all right, well then why? All right, well, number one, we said God uses prayer to change you, right? That's the first thing. You'll find him do that. Two, God also uses prayer to speak to us. Right. So as we're praying, he begins to lay on your heart something you hadn't considered before. And you're like, oh, all right. You know, and the other one is the idea that as we seek God and as we pray, he will use his prayers we mentioned to empower us. So these are basically the things we've been talking about right there. He he emboldened his church. Right. He comforted his prophets. He corrected those who were out of order. What are you doing here, Elijah? Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's this this wealth of things that happen as you interact with God through this realm of speech, prayer. Mm -hmm. Okay, Mm -hmm. fine. And prayer can even come from the heart. Right. Without even being uttered by the lips. Yet he knows our hearts. Right. So, you know, there's that side of it, too. Okay, fine. So he said, when you pray after this manner, pray our father, which art in heaven. We already covered the idea of a lot of people struggle with that. Right. But the fact is, no matter what kind of father you had on earth, you have a father in heaven who is good. And he does not change, right? And I get people say, well, I don't like the Old Testament God because they wipe out towns and villages and people and all that. And, and yeah, he wiped them out because of their sin and their wickedness. And they become so corrupt that the correcting work of God came against them because the wages mm-hmm. of sin is death. Yeah. I say, by the way, have you read Revelation 19? Yeah. What do you mean? He's going to return and defeat his enemies, right? I mean, yes. hello, but you yeah. don't have to destroy yourself. But he has to... Because he's holy and he doesn't change, he has to judge sin. Okay, yes. so if he was evil, he would give us no opportunity. Let us just be destroyed. But yet he gave you a conscience, and he says he said eternity in our hearts in Ecclesiastes, and there's a witness of God's Spirit. He's always been with us, and it's whether or not you open your heart to him. So I think at the end of the day, as you've sat in quite a few courtrooms, I think we're going to see the judges amazing. And yeah. it will truly be when we get in the eternal realm. No further questions, Your Honor. Yep. Right right now, the things we don't see through a glass clearly, we see darkly, and mm-hmm. we're waiting for when that which is perfect has come. And then it all makes sense. Right now, we take it by faith, and yes. we don't understand the judge. So, okay, that's the first thing. We've got a Father in heaven. Wonderful. Then he said to us, um, hallowed, you already said this, holy, right? 
hagazo, the idea of he's he, to make something sanctified or holy. He's holy, and if we're not holy, then we can't approach him, right? Mm-hmm. Because it talks about how even the brightness of his coming will destroy the Antichrist. Right. right, And that's the Lord Jesus coming to earth again. He's the second Thessalonians too. He destroys him in the brightness of his coming. That's enough to take him down. Okay. So for us to be able to talk to our father, we have to have something we can come under that makes us holy. Yep. And that is the blood of Christ. Right. So this dialogue starts because I'm under the blood of Christ by faith. I now have access to God because I'm viewed in his righteousness and his atoning work. And that accepts or allows me to be accepted in the beloved, as we say. into the family of God. So, okay, he's holy, and the only way you can really have a real—now, the question comes up, well, does God hear a sinner pray? Well, yeah, that's that was what you were before you surrendered, right? I mean, right, right. but is he obligated to answer? No. Is he obligated to answer ours? No. But if we pray according to his will, First John 5, we know he hears us and we have the things we've asked of him, right? Yeah. That's why learning how to pray is so important, because then you pray with knowledge. Mm-hmm. And then you can have a greater expectation that God's going to move, which encourages you to pray more. It's that that expectation that God's going to move. It's funny. So we're teaching my oldest son Ben how to pray, and one of the one of the things that he does that I, I love it every time he does it is so often one of his most common prayers is that uh, he wouldn't be afraid at night or or yeah, something like that. That's, the, that's a real thing in his world. Yeah, absolutely. But and. and uh, it, it's so he he knows that God's with him. He's memorized verses about how you know because God's with him, he doesn't have to be afraid. And, and he, he watching him apply those is great. But the way that he prays, instead of saying like uh, like Dear Father in heaven, please help me not be afraid tonight. He says, Dear Father in heaven, thank you for not making me afraid tonight. And just has that expectation that it's going to be answered. So he's not even asking. He's just thanking God for doing the thing that he's praying to him about. And uh, Let me it's, ask it's you a very... question. What does, per- what does perfect love cast out? All fear. All fear. So right. I, I think the guy's praying according to the will of God, right? He's he's coming to he the love of God, and God promises him to not give him a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. So he's leapfrogging a bunch of steps, but, you know, that boy's That's efficient. Right. That's right. So I, yep. that same thing with God desires all men to be saved, to come to a mm. knowledge of the truth. Sadly, not all men do get saved and women because God's given you a free will. So if you're a Calvinist, you're going to have to figure that one out. He desires all people <laughs> to be saved. It's express desire of God, First Timothy, and yet not all will. Okay, well, then you've got mm. a problem, right? Okay, fine. But so, yeah, I, there's a place when, when we had Pastor Chuck come visit. And uh, he came and spent two and a half, three days with us when Love Song toured. This is a couple years before he died. He came to the East Coast, went and saw some of the Calvaries because we're all fruit out of Chuck's ministry, right? Mm-hmm. And so we got to have him. It was an amazing couple of days just to, to we went and did some home visits. Some mm-hmm. people have watched Chuck for years, like, I have Chuck Smith in my living room. It was so fun to watch him. <laughs> like, you know, they're going, you know, trying to, it was awesome. <laughs> but but when we prayed for that evening service, uh, where the, the band performed and Chuck was going to share and all that, Chuck's prayer was, Lord, may we anticipate the moving of your Holy Spirit. That was yeah. it. Mm. In other words, <clears throat> we're going in your name to do your work for your people you want to call from darkness. So we just want to walk behind you. I was like, so it's kind of like your son's prayer. Yeah. Right. Thank you, Lord. You put these people in a room for a reason. You want to reach them. So yeah. we pray that you would reach them. Right. And help us to be in line with getting that done. Mm. I was like, you know, so that was a short prayer, but taught me a lot. There's somebody yeah. who's been decades and decades and decades of watching God 
do truly supernatural things in the lives of not only individuals, but also the first, you know, Harvest Crusades in Anaheim and all the things. They've seen hundreds, hundreds and yeah. hundreds of people make decisions for Christ. And, awesome. uh, and it was God who did the work, right? They just let down the nets. Mm-hmm. So that was cool, right? So back yes. to this idea of we pray, he's our father, he does these things. Um, okay, so your kingdom come. He is a king. Mm-hmm. In the father are one. He's going to sit on the throne of David. We've been waiting for it. It's going to happen in time, but there is most definitely a kingdom. And thank God for it, because I don't really like the kingdoms of this earth. So I look forward to the, his kingdom coming. Your kingdom come, your will be done, or thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Again, this is the return of God to put his son upon the throne. Clearly, his will is not yet done on earth as it is in heaven, which gives us this longing in our hearts for the return of the Lord Jesus. So as we're praying, we're essentially asking for the day of the Lord to bring a righteous judgment to a world where righteousness then reigns and God's creation is restored to what it had in the beginning, a world where sin is removed and fellowship with God. Right. And that's the millennial. There's some challenges there. But then we finally get to the new, the new, the new heaven, the new earth, where there is no more sin, no more crying, no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more of those things. So this idea of the world's going to see the righteous reign of God. And yet after that thousand years, as you know, in Revelation 20, Satan is loose to try the nations one more time. So from the environment versus nurturing versus nature, you know, sociology, psychology arguments that are out there, they're going to come under for a thousand years an essential perfect government. Yeah. And yet there will still be those within those descendants who made it alive, those sheep who make it into the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God on earth, right? Those sheep who make it in produce offspring, and some of those offspring are still willing to be led away and deceived by one final test. And that's interesting. That final test clears the decks, and the only ones who then go into that eternal realm are those who stayed faithful, who are coming to God by faith in their heart, and had abided in him. And that's mm-hmm. going to be even during the millennial reign, these millennial saints. So there's there are things there that we get a whole, well, not a whole lot of information, but the, the picture is still the same. Yeah. So he's going to run government. And under perfect government, there's still going to be the depraved heart of man. Because yeah. perfect government doesn't solve your problem. A perfect savior does. Right. right? You have to put faith in him personally. Right. That's Just right. like a church doesn't save you. Calvary Chapel doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. So don't say, well, I'm a Baptist, or I'm a this, or I'm a Catholic, or I'm a Calvary Chapelite, or whatever, or whatever, Methodist. You need to be, I'm a follower of Christ. I'm a believer right. in Jesus. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ, his righteousness, right? That's All who of I'm the ground in. is sinking sand. That's it. All denominations mess up somewhere, right? So, That's right. So there you go. So, okay, so his kingdom will come. Then he says, uh, give us this day, or thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's coming. Wait for it. Wait for it. Give us this day our daily bread, which takes me right away to Proverbs 30. Proverbs 30, fantastic proverb, a lot of wisdom behind it. And you probably are aware of it, but I want to get it straight. Exact quote. Two things have I required of you. This is prayer. Deny me not them before I die. Remove from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. Mm. In other words, give me just enough to get by so that I don't forget about you. Mm -hmm. 
And here he says, not give us this day next week's bread or next week's enchiladas or whatever yeah. you love to eat, right? <laughs> it's, it's our daily bread. And that is in the model of prayer, he's teaching us daily we should be coming to the Lord because you don't know if this is your last day. Right. Right. And so there's this reminder of without God's hand upon me today, in whatever fashion, God's blessed you with a job or, or you're a kid and you're at a home where God's provided for your parents to provide food for you. There's this remaining, the old attitude of gratitude, right? And when Israel began to wax fat, as it says, where, where things were good and their crops are going and their animals are producing and their wealth is just mag- multiplying, you know, expanding with livestock, pretty yeah. soon they forget all about God and they start living their decadent lifestyle because they have no restraint. And they're, you know, lots of money offering opens the doors, you know, to lots of nonsense, right? Right. And you're just trying to make sure your kids have oatmeal for the morning. You're in a different world than even sadly there. People get stuck and take your income for other stuff. But, mm-hmm. you know, you're you're in a different realm. But this idea of a constant dependence upon God, prayer is a constant dependence upon God. Why do I pray? Because without him, I'm nothing and I'm done. And if he pulls my breath from me, I don't even finish this podcast. Constant dependence upon God. Give us this day our daily bread. Taught us about prayer. Bring everything to him. You're not boring him. You're not bothering him. You know, just as your kids aren't bothering you, you know, sometimes they run you <clears throat> a little weary when they're out of order, but, you know, mm-hmm. when they really need something, you'll do whatever you have to do. You'll work three jobs if you have to, mm-hmm. to make sure they're fed. That's the heart of a father, right? Mm-hmm. So you didn't get that heart from your father, but God is building that heart into you to know about himself as you are a father. So that's yeah. the cool part of that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I know we got to wrap it up, so I don't want to run long on time. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Luke has harmartia, sin. Hmm. Right. Forgive us our sins. But then he says, as those who have the ideas of philia and the ideas a debt, this is um, a philly, a philiates, which is to owe or to be indebted. So in Luke's, it's forgive us our sins as we forgive those who are indebted to us here yeah. in Matthew. It's forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are indebted to us. But the simple answer is, would you like to be forgiven of your sins? Yes. Yes. Well, <laughs> if you want to be forgiven of your sins, what's the next step? You're to forgive others of their sins. And we'll loop back to that in a minute. It's enough that he reiterates it at the end of the prayer. Okay. Okay. He says, lead us not into temptation. That's perosmos. Perosmos is James chapter 1, verse 1 through 12. Count, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials or testing. Perosmos, right? And that is to try to test to prove. Let's see if you know algebra. Let's give you the quiz of the test. You pass the test, you know algebra, right? right? Let's see if you've learned the word of God. You get tested in a trial. The word of God is your escape. It is written. It is written. It is written. You set your mind on things above. You pray. You know what? You pass the test. Back to that statement about you've been counted worthy of this trial to see whether or not you're ready with the material to pass the test. <clears throat> awesome. Yes. The second half of James one thirteen is let not many man when he is tempted say he's tempted of God. That's perazo. And that's in the case of evil, to solicit to do evil. And right. God cannot tempt people to do evil because he's not evil. Back to that nature that doesn't change. Praise God, he's a consistent father. Mm. Right? So, But that first 12 verses, here the idea of lead us not into temptation or testing. When even God, I, I tell him all the time, okay, you told me to pray, lead me not into temptation. So tell you what, just give me the F. You've heard me say this. <laughs> give me the F. Don't even test me. Give me the F. Left to yeah. myself, I will just blow this up. Right? The old mm. DC talk song. Left to myself, I realize. I'd be the maker of my own demise. So you know what, Lord, we, you know, and if he puts you in a test, then the prayer is, then God help me to walk worthy of your name through this. Mm, yeah. Okay, so <clears throat> praise God, you can pray when you're getting tempted with 
somebody's outfit, uh, pornography, wanting to go back to your drug life, um, wanting to get, you know, put five knuckles in the face of a coworker, whatever it is, <laughs> right? I mean, whatever these things are, they're attempt fill in the blank, right? Unforgiveness, bitterness, whatever, outbursts of wrath, contentions, jealousies, whatever. Whatever it is, when you're getting tempted, you can actually cry out. Yeah. I found that's a good way to start the day, honestly. <laughs> you know, just praying that that you wouldn't be led into temptation and that you'd yep. be delivered from the evil one because you're right. In in and of ourselves, we get that F every time. So I had you know, a guy we, tell me one time he wanted to wrestle with God, and I was like, Oh, he did. He lost yeah. bad. <laughs> Badly. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay, so lead us not into temptation, something he wants us to ask help for. Rather than hide it from him. Yeah. Tell him. Right? He knows. <laughs> tell him. Yes, yeah. tell him. Okay, so lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. Praise God, you can ask that. And even you know, for your son, darkness to him is scary and evil. Dude. Yeah. And there is a demonic realm. Mm-hmm. Right? So you pray, God, protect our home. Yeah. Sanctify our home, cast out anything that's not of you. Right? So there's yes. a place to pray for that. Okay. Um, and he said then, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. It's always been his. Yeah. Satan usurped it, but it's it's always been his, right? And this is why I went to Matthew, because you got to have this part of it. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. And the church has to say, amen, amen. right? So then he says to us, for if you forgive men their trespasses, false steps, yeah, I did missteps and things, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But then here comes the rub. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive you your trespasses. You know, that whole forgiveness thing is pretty big with God. Matthew 18, he gives a parable of two debtors, right? One owes five bucks, the other 5,000 talents of gold or whatever. Forgives both of them freely. You know, you know the story. If you don't, go read Matthew 18. But the bottom line is... It's a great parable, yeah. He said, if you you will not forgive your brothers from your heart, neither will my Father heaven forgive you. And there are those right now watching going, wait a second. I was doing great until you brought this trip on me, right? You're telling me I got to forgive an abusive father. You got to forgive an abusive mother. You got to forgive an abusive boyfriend or an abusive husband or wife. I've seen both women abuse men. And and that's even harder to get out in the light of day because they're embarrassed that they're getting their ribs kicked in by high heels, right? (laughs) You know this and I know this, right? Anyway, um, so here you go. And yet what I tell them is if you will abide in Jesus, if you will spend time with him in his word, I'm not telling you you have to forgive them today. I'm not telling you that. But I will tell you this, that if you abide in Jesus, I can guarantee you he will bring you to a place at some point in your walk where you will forgive them. But that's going to be between you and God. He's going to do that work in your life, and he's going to bring you to where, and they may be dead, and you may never see him again face to face, or they may not be worth the effort, right? whatever the case is. But there's going to be a place where you finally release that anger from your heart and let it go. And you will find freedom from it and healing in your life and a joy that will come to you. And whether you hear the person's name or see something that looks like them or whatever, it no longer gets that claw in your heart where you just start getting tense and why is my soul cast down in me? You're free. You'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. So if you abide in Jesus, even those things that were unforgivable that have happened in your life, God will lead you eventually. Like Joseph to say, you know what? What you meant for evil, God used to teach me how to be a dad or whatever the case may be. Yeah. So this is actually one of the one of the things that I wanted to spend a little bit of time on because I do think it's something that's so um minimized it seems uh within the church even um and and I think uh, so two things. One I think that as you were saying if you are if you are genuinely seeking after God and you're walking with Christ and you 
God does reveal to you, and it, it's a gradual thing, I think, but yep. what exactly Jesus did for you on the cross. And I think that there's no way that you can honestly recognize what it is that that Jesus did on the cross, and then on the one hand, and then on the other hand, hold something against somebody else, even something big, you know, um, because, and and there, there are people have gone through some awful things and I'm not trying to minimize that, that people can be evil and just exact atrocities on other people unjustly, not trying to minimize that. However, there's nothing that we can do or that somebody else can do to us that would be worse than what we've done to God. And if you don't believe that it's because I don't think that you have a proper understanding of what you're doing when you sin against the king of the universe. And and again, I think that that's something that comes with time and with grace. But do you think that that's what those passages mean when it says if if you don't forgive others then neither will you be forgiven? It's saying that like if you if you do have the gospel, if the Holy Spirit is in you, working and revealing things to you, there isn't going to be a way that you can withhold forgiveness from others. Or is it saying that you can do, you can say whatever prayers you want, or you can do uh, whatever church things that you want. But if at the end of the day, when you stand before God, if there's something that you've held against somebody else and you haven't forgiven them for, God's going to be like, well, tough. (laughs) Back, Back to that horrible surprise when you get there theme. Here's, here's the temptation with this, right? And that is Wow, that last part of Matthew 18 and these two verses here after the Lord's Prayer are very sobering. Yes. And so basically people say, could you please explain them away for me, right? Hmm. And the answer to be a faithful servant to the Word of God is, it says what it says. Yeah. And that ought to make you think seriously about your unforgiveness. You know, even, for example, I don't know if, you know, in the case of a marriage that's failing, I don't know if the marriage will be healed. I hope it would be. But, you know, the fact is God's going to bring you to a place where you're going to have to find some forgiveness in your heart, no matter yeah. what went down between the two of you. And, and so I've, I've seen this. I've got the blessing now of some time in ministry. And I've seen people that have come out of some truly horrifying things, mm-hmm. whether in childhood or even a marriage or whatever, some combat, you know, and, mm-hmm. and all that. And, and I've watched God in his own time and his own way with many of them bring him to a place where they can say, I would never have chosen this, but God used it. Mm-hmm. And they've put these things to rest in his hands where they, they realize you've forgiven me everything. And not just, you know, well, now since I got saved, I'm perfect. No, you're not. You know, and so you're right. You know, we still have things that we know we shouldn't do that sometimes get a hook in us. Right. But hopefully mm-hmm. you wake up, and realize you're doing get off the ground, get the dirt off, keep walking. Right. OK, right. fine. You stumble, right. but get up. Right. Get up. Mm-hmm. Don't fall. And um, so but this idea, I've seen God do it over and over. And I also know some people that they'll tell me it's, it's interesting, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. They become a believer, and in a short period of time, like, you know, I've been reading the Bible. I'm like, that's good. That's good. <laughs> He's telling me i got to forgive, and they'll tell me what it is. I'm like, yeah, so? Are you telling me I have to? I'm like, no, God's telling you I have to. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, if you just wait on him, he'll do it at a time you're ready. And that takes a burden off him, right? Where suddenly it's like, well, I, you know, I got to like, I'm sorry, you ruined my life, right? I mean, okay, are they really, right? Yeah. But But to, again, let the work of God happen in their life to where they many times they end up truly pitying the people who, how could you be so evil? What happened to you that made you such a mess? 
you know, and how could you do this to the people you're supposed to care for or love? I've seen a family where there's, um, I got to be very vague, but multiple people in the family harmed. How's that a good for, a good way to put it? Sure. And the parents finally are aging out, out of state, whatever, and they're dealing with it. Um, and all these siblings who've been traumatized are are now beginning to come together to each other and find healing. Mm. You know, and that's, I mean, some of them wouldn't even talk. And so I'm, I'm yeah. watching them and they're, some are already moving into the place of they're going to forgive clearly things that were evil. And, um, and they're, and I'm watching that start to kind of permeate among these siblings of, you know, and sadly a lot of this was done so-called quote unquote in Jesus or religion's name, which is yeah. even more damaging, right? Yes. Um, yeah. There you go. Talk about a mixed message. But I'm I'm seeing this, and I've you know I know one of the people involved, and I've met a few of the others now with some time. Um, but I'm seeing God do a work, and that's and it's it's of Him, and yeah. truly, I mean, it would have to be God for some of these people that, but but some of them are starting to get free, and the others can see like, you know, like wow, that <laughs> that looks good, you know, and yeah. and some have actually now come to Christ because they grew up in that and they drove away, right? Yeah. So I do see it. I have the benefit of time that, you know, God will bring you to that place. And you say, well, what if I get hit in a car accident and I never had that, you know, prayer in my heart or whatever? <laughs> uh, your salvation is a gift. It's a gift. We will be rewarded or have lack thereof, right? But when you trusted Christ, you came under the blood of Christ. Your duty is to abide. Mm -hmm. Some bear 30, some 60, some 100 fold. I'm so glad that's there. Yeah. Some are bearing 30, some are bearing 60, some are barely pushing up green stuff through the dirt, you know, but mm -hmm. some are at a hundredfold, which means there's yeah. going to be different levels of, here's an interesting word, yielding to God. Yeah. Hmm. Huh. And the more you yield, the more fruitful you are. Huh. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I just think that's it's so important that we understand that God doesn't give us the option to hold resentment in our hearts against other people. Well, go ahead and, and try do, it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think, I think the key yeah. is just reminding yourself of the gospel and trying to wrap your mind around the gospel and what it means for you, the things that you've done that God now that you expect, like that we as Christians expect that God's not going to hold against us because of the blood of Jesus. Okay. But then how could we turn around and hold things against other people if that's the yeah, case i think that that's a you know and i've i've had my fair share of having to take the short end of the stick mm -hmm. you know and I've, I've had people you know trash or even you know try to assassinate my character or whatever mm -hmm. and i've been through it in, within ministry by by the quote body of christ you know yep. and you have to when you go through that you go back to why am i doing this i'm doing this for jesus right you know and, and hopefully it blesses his people but I, i'm not and hear this with the right heart i'm not here for them Right. I'm here for him, right? Because if you're here for them, it's only a matter of time till they're going to drive you out of town, right, on yep. a rail with you yep. know a knife in your back. Um, <laughs> but if you're here for him, then even when you're really getting you know short, sorely treated, you know, and and sometimes by people you've helped, I mean you've helped them, you've been there for them, and all of a sudden they turn around and just decide to go to war against you, and you're sitting there like, what? you know, and <laughs> yeah. some will come back eventually and said, hey, sorry, where others, no, you know, and and that's where okay, I guess like Philippians says, we get to be a man acquainted with the sufferings of Christ, you know, not that I'm redeeming the world, but to know what it's like to be falsely accused, to know what it's like to be just absolutely told in derogatory terms, you know, well, you're whatever, 
and yet your heart is you haven't you haven't tried to be malevolent towards them or sinful or fleshly or and you get a chance to partake of some of the sufferings like wow lord you did that for us and it's yeah. not something i ever want to sign up for it's a class i'd love to skip yeah but but it comes to us many times in life and you know and that's where again you read the history of the persecuted church these people mm. really entered into his sufferings you know mm. but but they deemed the blood of Christ worthy, you know, and the love of Jesus worthy. And what I've read from account after account is in those moments, supernaturally, God seems to carry them through them. Yes. Talk about like not a trial I'd ever want to be in, but you, you know, kind of like those guys who's surfing that like big curve of the wave in Hawaii. Mm. You're in this zone, man, that most people can only look and go, whoa. And you're the one running your hand down the side of the wall going, oh. Yeah, and yeah, you're going to eat it when you get out of the wave and get slammed in your board. But that moment of like, there was a moment where God yeah. was there. Um, pretty cool. So yeah, he's faithful. Yes. Yeah. Well, if I could just detain you for a couple more minutes with a question sure. that somebody did ask Uh-oh. after the last uh, episode, just something related to prayer. Um, what is praying in the spirit? We we see oh, yeah. that in, uh, I think it's first Corinthians. We see in, a, I think, Ephesians 6. Uh, as well, there's a couple, there's a few places that we see it, but uh, yeah, what? Because uh, I think in the, in the First Corinthians passage, Paul says, you know, we should pray with our minds, yes, but also our spirits. Yep. What's he talking about there? <laughs> okay. First thing you have to ask is, well, um, here, where do I have? Okay, Corinthians, chapter twelve, the gifts. Chapter fourteen, how to use them. Chapter thirteen, the really good stuff, love. Hmm. Right. If I speak with tongues of angels and I have not love, I'm noise, right? If I know all yeah. things and yet I have not love, then I'm you know, whatever. So, okay, here are gifts. Here's how to use them. Use them in love. So in that three-chaptered section of scripture, the first question came, do all speak in tongues? The answer is no, right? So there's a very, do, are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Are all, you know, um, prophesy? No, right? So clearly there are gifts of the Spirit, teaching, prophecy, there were apostles, right, who were mm. writing the Word of God for us. Now you can be sent on a commission, apostolos, but you're not writing Scripture. If you are, you're probably messed up. So, okay, so <laughs> yeah. we have that, right? You've got these gifts of the Spirit, but then he asked rhetorically, do all speak in the you know, tongues or prophesy or whatever? And the answer is no. Right. So, but do some? Yes. And so then he talked about Corinth, where everybody's desiring spiritual gifts, which is a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. But God gives to every man, he said, as well as Peter, severally as he wills. So God gives you the gift he wants you to have. You're a dad. You get this. You just went through Christmas. You got two different kids. They get two different <laughs> gifts, right? Because one will choke on the Legos. The other one will build, <laughs> right? So, so it's the same thing in the kingdom of God, right? You're, mm-hmm. it is, when you're ready, certain gifts will, may, may appear, okay? And so there is a gift of praying in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit is generally praying in a language you do not know. It is generally praying in what is a, a known language. Now, it, I don't know how many know Swahili or how many know Utu or anything else. So you can have languages that literally sound like nonsense to you, and they may be a valid language, but you're not a linguist. I'm not a linguist, you know. Um, but I can tell you that the gifts of the Spirit are still for today. That's something we think and we believe it, you know, Calvary Chapel. We do mm-hmm. believe the gifts are for today. Yeah. I do know people who generally speak in tongues. I feel God's given me a prayer language. It came in the year 2000 while somebody was assassinating my character and my daughter at the age of six, my oldest, was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And so suddenly I don't know how to pray anymore. And I'm trying to work a job full time and trying to see what, you know, plan a church and I'm beside myself. And, and I sat there and I'm like, I don't know what to pray. 
And I sense God leading me to pray in the spirit. Okay. I have no idea what the language is. I seldom have ever shared it with anybody because it's really not important to them. Right. Mm -hmm. But they've actually done MRI studies on people who do pray in tongues, who pray in a known tongue, whatever it may be. And they, they did this, I think, of all things at UPenn. Can't remember. There's an article if you mm -hmm. look it up where they actually did MRI resonance of people as they would exercise these gifts of speaking in tongues. And what they found from an MRI perspective was the normal links within the brain that would be used for language were at rest. Hmm. And yet they're speaking in a language. And so we now have MRI evidence of what Paul said. My understanding is unfruitful. I'm not praying in a known language to me, but yet I am praying in the spirit in a language. And you don't have to be afraid if God gives you that gift, because no man speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. Mm -hmm. So even if you don't understand what you're praying, but you are truly a believer in Jesus, you put your faith in him, you know you are by faith under the blood of Christ, then even a moving of God's Spirit through you in prayer, it is a language, whatever it may be, it is usually praise and exhortation of God or exaltation of God, right? Right. So he said, when a man prays, his understanding is unfruitful, but he speaks praise to the Lord. Sometimes in that exercise of that gift, there will be someone who has the interpretation of tongues. And that usually should be something of edification to God. Now, in the Pentecostal circles, you sometimes get some interesting things of somebody says something, and it's like, uh, mm -hmm. but a prophecy will bring edification, exhortation, and comfort. Right? Edification to the church, exhortation where it's out of order, comfort where maybe trials are coming. Mm -hmm. Okay? So... And that gift exists today, but that normally is delivered in the known language. That's why Paul yeah. said, someone comes into your church, you know, you're all speaking in tongues. You're like, well, you know, and, and yeah, but if they prophesy, they can get something, right? right. They can be convicted. Right. Okay. All right, fine. Um, so this idea of, yes, there is a gift of praying in the spirit. Um, I've known people who were very much anti-charismatic, anti-gifts of the spirit until suddenly they got the gift of tongues. <laughs> Interesting. I knew one guy got thrown out of a Bible college thrown out right he was invited to leave and as he's driving home very conservative and all that he starts singing he's just so joyful he's out of his school and he starts singing in tongues and he's not charismatic <laughs> he's like i'm driving home singing in tongues you know like uh, who knew you know so and sadly the abusive side of it is where the pentecostals some of them and some truly love god but others like mm. we got to loose that tongue brother you know yeah. we got to help you get that gift and, and but you don't give that gift the holy spirit gives it to people so right if you desire that gift of praying in the Spirit, it's Luke eleven eleven. If you fathers being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Mm. So we know if we pray anything according to his will, he hears us. You want a gift like that in the Spirit? You get before the Lord in your prayer time, back to what prayer is for. And you say, Lord, if you desire this gift for me, would you please bring it? And so I've seen mm. people rise up as teachers. I've seen people who, who I've got some interesting people here that God really does give them some prophetic words, you know, and they're very cautious with it because, yeah. you know, people turn you into a rabbit's foot, you know, in a sense. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah. that's, that's not good either. Right. And, and here's the other side of that sword. God gives you a word that will be very painful to deliver. You talk about having to exercise faith to go to someone and say, I feel God's telling me this about you. And it's not mm. something they'd want to hear. That's not easy, right? So, mm -hmm. oh, it'd be wonderful. No, it's not necessarily mm -hmm. wonderful. Go read the prophets. Mm -hmm. They were grieving at times what they had to go say to people, right? Yeah. So, yes, there is that gift. It has actually been documented according to these MRI studies that they are praying in a language, yet their normal linguistic centers are at rest, which mm -hmm. was pretty cool because they're verifying what Paul said. Their spirit is praying. 
but their understanding is unfruitful. They don't know yeah. what they're saying unless hmm. somebody interprets. Interesting. Well, thank you. This has been, I know this has been a long one. Uh, oh, it's but a pleasure. Yeah, it's, it's great. And and still, you know, there's there's lots more that people could learn. So I'd encourage people that are watching, listening to continue doing your own study, read scripture, be in prayer, because, you know, you can you can learn all the academics you want, but until you actually put it into practice and and be in prayer regularly, it won't come alive to you. So be doing that, be talking to your Christian friends about it and just seeing where each other are at in your prayer lives and uh, you know what insight you can gain from the people that God's put in your life. But uh, any last thoughts before we sign off? You basically just answered one of your questions. You start mm-hmm. developing prayer as a habit, and next thing you know, you're praying without ceasing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. There you go. Very, very true. And is there anywhere, so if people want to hear more of you, Pastor Chris, what's the best place they can go to do that? We'll just search our church. If you're on the browser, it'll come up, the website. We have a app on um, the App Store, Calvary Chapel, mm-hmm. Chester Springs. And, and in many ways, the podcast is, is an interesting forum because it's, it's essentially making us do a topical. And as you know, I, I basically go verse by verse. Right. So you can go back to these scriptures. You can hear what we teach through them. Um, because, you know, broccoli makes you grow as much as vanilla ice cream. And, uh, <laughs> and that's what verse by verse does for you. So That's this right. was fun. This is a lot of fun for me, David, because it, it makes me hone in too. So I've been, I've enjoyed it and it's great awesome. to see what your ministry is doing. Yeah. So uh, well, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you coming on again and doing this. You got it, man. All right. Thanks. Yep. Happy new year. You too. <laughs>